welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I'll talk to my friend, Aaron Van Leuven. Aaron is a fantastic father and husband, also a great outdoorsman, and he's going to share with us about his recent adventure with his kids into the outdoors. It's a great story. You won't want to miss it. But before we start, please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast. And if at the end you liked it, give it a good review. And finally, if you'd like resources to inspire your whole family to get outside and have adventures in the wilderness, get our free resource, Essential Reading for Adventurous Families, at www.wilderoutdooracademy.com forward slash reading list. No spaces. Again, wilderoutdooracademy.com forward slash reading list. With that, let's start today's episode. Hi, everyone. So today I have with me my friend Aaron Van Leuven, and Aaron is just a great guy, but also a great father and an avid and in many ways growing outdoorsman. And I have to tell you, the first time I met Aaron, instead of getting coffee, he asked if I'd be comfortable boiling maple sap at his house. And I will tell you what, that man had my heart right off the bat. Um, Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, so uh, before we get to some of the stories I hope you'll share, tell me a little bit about you and your history with the outdoors. Well, um, my history with the outdoors, uh, it, it's probably, it, I, I got a late start, I will say that. And so maybe maybe that's something I have in common with many of your listeners. Um, but my dad, uh, you know, I feel like that's um, how a lot of folks get into the outdoors. Um, you know, you have that that introduction from a, from a family figure, parental figure. Um, and I feel like I should have, and, and I don't hold it against my dad. He grew up in Northern Michigan, Northern Wisconsin and did, you know, in his age, um, his time, uh, they did a lot of hunting. They did a lot of fishing, a lot of outdoors stuff, riding bikes like everywhere in creation, um, uh, because you could in those days. And, um, but when we grew up in uh, the Pittsburgh area, about 45 minutes to the east of the city, um, that sort of side of his life uh, just didn't come out as much. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just, um, I know it's challenging with kids. You, you do have to be really intentional to do this sort of thing. Um, we did a lot of typical like sports, uh, played a lot of hockey together, had a lot of fun that in, in, in that arena. Um, so this is by no means an indictment on him. Um, just that the outdoors took a back seat for that segment of, um, his life. And so it wasn't until much later, um, in my life that I realized how much I loved it, um, through a lot of self discovery and growth and, and did some hunting, uh, when I was in high school with a friend, um, his name is John. And, uh, we had many unsuccessful hunts, um, and I knew nothing. Um, I remember we, he had a, a trailer that we would go stay at and they had a little bit of property and, uh, he had a, a collection of VHS tapes of hunting tapes. I mean, this is long before YouTube or any of that. And we would watch these VHS tapes of hunting and 
I remember there was how to gut a deer on VHS and <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I would have done um, if I had shot a deer in those days. Um, but in any case, I'm sure he would have helped me. Uh, but anyways, fasting forward, um, this is kind of a, a long story. So I'll just give you the, the, uh, the highlights is that we, we lived overseas for a number of years um, in the 2000s and we lived in East Africa in uh, both for a period in Djibouti, uh, which is in uh, the Horn of Africa, kind of between Eritrea and Somalia. And we lived right on the ocean. And I just remember having sort of this cognitive experience where I realized, oh, I love the water so much. Like it's, it's not just I enjoy it, but it's like it brings me a deep sense of satisfaction and, and life just being being near it seeing it i don't even have to be on it or in it i just want to see it um and that so that was kind of a a realization that i had and then um spending a few years in kenya and just the stunning landscapes in kenya from from forests to savanna to um you name it just um you know going all over the country in our land rover defender um which i miss just desperately. Um, but uh, we moved back to the States um, in 2018. And that's really when the sort of um, love for the outdoors kind of, you know, shifted into uh, the next year um, with young kids. But at that time, I think my boys were, my twin boys who are now seven, I think they were uh, roughly two or three my daughter would have been about five or six and um my fourth boy who's now two he wasn't around yet but um we spent we just spent a lot of time in the outdoors um we went to uh nature reserves um where you know we live in minnesota and we have a pretty incredible network of state parks that we would um you know we'd hike through and we'd explore and uh, just a lot of different opportunities. And then um, we're, I don't know how I was exposed to it, but um, you mentioned it in one of your previous episodes, the the meat eater um, kind of network. And uh, I remember seeing, I think I saw the episodes um, on Netflix and I thought, wow, this is incredible. I love hunting. Uh, you know, I'm going deer hunting with my father-in-law on his property. Um, but I think there was this stereotype that, hunting kind of was a kind of was a backwoodsy sort of hillbilly um sort of really gruff i don't even know how to you know and these are all pejorative right terms to describe it but here i'm seeing these young like uh sort of well-spoken thoughtful individuals going on these adventures and hunting and i and i i connected with hunting in a new way watching some of those episodes and and then getting into some of the other uh, media that they've been put, putting out. But um, yeah, anyways, that's kind of the origin story. Um, what you go from there. That's awesome. So I think when I, when I hear that, one thing that stands out is that when you got back from Africa, you started not only doing things differently, but putting time in to learn things. Is that, am I right in saying that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and obviously thanks to YouTube for everything um, and other, I guess, other media platforms as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I 
I feel like these sort of um, like this sort of lifestyle, these sort of activities for me, I, I guess learning in general, I guess it, it comes down to your learning style. I'm a very much um, show me how to do that. And then if I see it modeled or done, then I feel like, okay, maybe I can give that a try. Um, uh, and so it's, uh, it's being able to kind of go out virtually with some of these folks watching some of their videos or tutorials. And, um, I, uh, I like to do probably too much sort of research before I feel confident enough to go out and do it. But, um, but yeah, learning and, and really sort of taking time to, to, uh, yeah, just invest in these different activities. Um, it definitely notched up when we got back. That's amazing. So uh, what do you think was the impetus behind that change? Like what, what was driving that change for you? Sure. Um, I, I think, uh, so not to get too navel gazy, but like I, I had done a number of different sort of, um, personality tests and, and different, you know, sort of like the Enneagram or different, uh, different sort of Myers-Briggs type stuff. And I, I, what I knew about myself is that I love to read. I love sort of like, I spent a lot of time in my head. Um, but the, but living in my head so like so much of the time and my, my work as a pastor, you know, a lot of the work is spent studying and, and again, in books and in my head, but getting out and like, connecting and this sounds so cliche but 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 getting out and actually like doing something a real thing in the world connected to nature to creation like that uh it always you know it felt like there was this speed bump to overcome in order to do that in order to get out and to actually do the thing but after i'd done the thing it's like oh wow that felt great like that i needed that and i didn't realize that that was the thing that i needed but every time i did it it was um, yeah, it was just fantastic. I mean, in the last few months, as an example, um, no, no, not in small part to your help and, uh, guidance, I've gotten into fishing and, uh, just the time that I get out on the lake, even if I'm just standing on a dock and casting kind of aimlessly and mindlessly, um, it is good for my soul just to be near the water, to be in the outdoors, to be um, sort of in a contemplative minds mindset, but you know, in in creation, doing a real thing. Um, yeah, I forget I forget what your original question was, but um, it's been a really life giving thing for me. I think I, I just needed it. Is the short answer? I needed it for my mental health, for my for my the health of my whole person, if you will. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, one of the really interesting things that you have done and one of the things I think is amazing about you is not, not only have you learned how to do a lot of this stuff more or less on your own, but you've done what I think a lot of people get critical of the internet for, which is sucking people into imagining doing things. Uh, we've actually had that conversation in our home about meat eater and what role it should play in our, our kids' lives. Yep. But what I, I, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a challenge because the kids start to feel like, well, if we're not, you know, out hunting bears and getting them, then why are we outside? But what <laughs> I, right. You know, you've, you've been there. Um, oh, yeah. and so, 
I think what I love about what you've done is you took the internet and you took YouTube videos of all things and you, you actually taught yourself and you went out and did it. What I'd love to hear about now, you've, you've mentioned hunting as one of the things that you've done. So we can pick that, or if you have another activity that you think, you know, might be worth sharing, um, please do that. But what was that first hunt like going from YouTube to the woods? Yeah, well, that wasn't quite the progression, right? Because I did hunt a little bit with my buddy John in high school, um, and that was prior to YouTube. And and honestly, like, I look back at that experience, and I'm like, well, I was just sitting there. I really wasn't hunting. (laughs) I was sitting on a a bucket next to a tree. I don't even know if I saw a deer um, in those days. But yeah, most recently um, in Minnesota here, my father-in-law, he's got, um, some family land that, that he inherited. Um, it's undeveloped, it's partially wooded, partially swampy. And, um, there's a number of deer stands on the property that a number of folks have used throughout the years. And, um, I will say the unfortunate thing is that it's, it's not really close to home. And so I would love to be able, I was just thinking yesterday about how I need to get up there and I need to do some work on some deer stands and kind of get them operational for the fall, but it's just a challenge to get there. But, um, but honestly, uh, I, I won't credit it all to YouTube. It's partially getting out with people that I know, like my father-in-law, he's, um, honestly, I think he's less of a hunter and more of, a um, just, he enjoys taking a nap in the deer stands and <laughs> getting away from, <laughs> from the, uh, to-do list at home. But I mean, I say that jokingly, but also, you know, it's having a person to kind of help walk you through it. Um, his cousin is also an avid hunter and usually is out there with us when we're there. And, um, and he's a very avid hunter. And so having this combination of like resources on the web that I can, you know, search different things and, and try to like, uh, you know, look for different strategies or, or tips and, um, and, uh, and then having someone to kind of walk you through it in person is, has been really helpful. Um, I don't know, personally, I don't know if I'd have the courage to just get out and do it if it was just me by myself. Um, so, yeah, I did that once with bear hunting, which didn't go very well. But, um, I, to, you know, I, I enjoy being alone, for example, in the deer stand. But I like doing being alone together, you know, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> with with the other guys you're out there sort of hunting with. Um, uh, yeah. Sure. So you're sort of piecing together the, the mentorship of real people, right? So you're almost kind of anchoring yourself there and then going out and absolutely supplementing with other things. Yeah. You know, I, 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 and I, my all time favorite, well, I should say my second favorite podcast behind wilder outdoors podcast is um (laughs) is the bear grease podcast and we've talked about that offline a bit and um i don't know these guys from adam honestly i don't know i might be able to pick clay out of the lineup but listening to their stories um honestly kind of just um it is a sort of mentorship you know listening to their their way of life and their um sort of just the different adventures that they're gone through and just listening to their different hunting stories, turkey stories, deer stories, bear stories. Um, you just, uh, there's something in us that 
really connects with those stories, I think. And, um, and it, it is some sort, it is a bit of a kind of a virtual mentorship, whether they recognize that or not. I think there's probably a lot of folks out there who feel the same way about listening to, to, uh, and maybe hunting vicariously through them. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally get that, especially as, you know, someone who also didn't grow up, uh, with a lot of mentoring in the outdoors, uh, having role models, you know, is key even as an adult. So yeah. yeah. They've, they've been super helpful for me too. Uh, for anyone listening, the Bear Grease podcast is fantastic. It's uh, put out by a guy named Clay Newcomb, who is under the uh, meat eater umbrella, full of great stories, uh, both from history and the outdoors, but all dedicated to digging deeper into things that we may have lost as a culture, uh, but that still have value for our lives and always connected to the outdoors. So I, I highly recommend checking that out. Um, now, Aaron, I, I love hearing about your outdoors um, past, but you and I both know that I brought you on today to actually tell a bit of your most recent story, which is a little bit different. Uh, but you you recently took a great trip with your kids that involved a lot of outdoors activities and adventures. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I mentioned it already, but living in Minnesota, we do have like we have a phenomenal network of state parks and um, just uh, my wife is from here. And so she and her family have, they were probably the first to maybe introduce me to the North shore in general. Um, Again, I mentioned just how much I love being by the water. And so having this great, just fantastic body of water in Lake Superior um, is so attractional to me. And uh, there's half a dozen fantastic state parks up the Lake Superior coast, north of Duluth, all the way to the Canadian border. Um, as a family, we've camped at a couple of those. Um, Laura and I have also camped just the two of us and a few of them as well. And, um, I thought, well, uh, actually last year, what was it last year? Two years ago, I took a solo camping trip with Tegan, my daughter, um, and, uh, it was time for me to take a solo camping trip with my twin boys. Rowan and Soren. And, uh, we went to, uh, it's called the split rock, uh, state park, split rock lighthouse state park. And, um, yeah, we, we, uh, got all the gear together, loaded up the truck and we made a pit stop in Duluth. They have, uh, an incredible aquarium there actually, which the kids really love and they get into, um, it's not quite the outdoors, but it is nature and they love fish. They love an opportunity to not just look at them, but pet the, um, gosh, what are they called? Not, not the pike, but the, uh, uh, sturgeon, gar. sturgeon, lake sturgeon. They've got a bunch of them that you can pet. And, um, and of course there's Northern waters, smoked fish sandwiches, which I long for. So we stopped there on the way up. And then we spent some time uh, camping up at the up at the lighthouse. And so, what was what was the impetus behind the trip up to the state park? Yeah, it's it's kind of a uh, I don't know if it's like uh, I'm not I wouldn't say we've got it figured out as sort of a rite of passage, but it's something that I do want to do with all the kids is kind of go on a solo adventure um, with them. And you know, they're young enough. Uh, my daughter was seven when we went. My boys were seven this at this trip. And they're young enough um, where I think uh, I'm 
not taking any significant risks, um, but it's enough of a stretching experience with them uh, that I know that they uh, they're going to be a little bit challenged, but I know that they're up to the up to the task. Um, so uh, the campground was a cart in web uh, cart in site. Almost said website, a cart in campsite, um, as opposed to camping out of a vehicle, which is what honestly we normally do. Um, but we loaded up this. They've got uh, every site has its own cart, and we loaded our cart and trucked about a third of a mile through the woods to our site. And unfortunately, we needed two trips, and <laughs> my boys were as helpful as they possibly could. Um, but uh, that was a bit of a challenge, just getting all of our stuff there, getting the tent set up. Um, at age seven, they're old enough not to get too close to the cliff. Um, <laughs> this site is literally on, the, uh, you know, I, I would say at least a hundred foot cliff over Lake Superior. Oh it's gosh. a significant, it's a significant drop. There is a, a fence, but um, they're old enough where. Uh, they're, they're kind of in a sweet spot where it's enough adventure and excitement. Um, they're not too old where it's like, okay, dad, this is too easy for us. So, I mean, maybe, maybe when they get a little older and, and maybe if I get, uh, enough gumption, we'll do a boundary waters trip or something. But, uh, this is kind of the right speed for us right now. That's awesome. So yeah, you get to the campsite. What day was that? Uh, we got there on, I want to say it was Tuesday. Yeah. The, the, the sites book up so quickly because they're, they're actually really nice sites. Um, and the bathhouses are clean. Um, they're just really well kept. And so I think they have a rolling 120 day sort of, uh, reservation system. And the only three days, uh, on any of the sites or in any of the campgrounds that I was looking at, um, on the North shore there were, it was the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that I was able to secure, um, at the site that we were at. So, um, yeah, we got there on Tuesday. We left, we left, uh, early Tuesday morning, drove, uh, again to Duluth, uh, had lunch there and left with enough time to get to our campsite before dark and set up our tent. Um, and just have a stunning view of the lake and of the Split Rock Lighthouse right from uh, right from our site there. And so, made a fire, made some s'mores, and uh, we had a little bit of time to venture out um, down uh, some well a, a lot of steps down a steep sort of hillside down to a, a pebble beach, and um, had some time throwing rocks and unsuccessfully fishing. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And for anybody who's yeah. never been to the North Shore, just real quick Google Split Rock Lighthouse and you'll see what Aaron's talking about in terms of view. It's it really is amazing. Um so, okay, so you you huff it in, you, yep. you get your site set up, you have a little adventure, you have some sugar, you go to sleep. What happens the next day? Yeah. Next day, Wednesday, um it rains. I mean, this has been um, one of the driest summers on record in Minnesota, but I'm telling you, if you ever need to break a drought, you need only send me camping and it will undoubtedly <laughs> rain. Every single time I go camping, it rains. Um, but uh, thankfully I was able to find this. Uh, we went, we had a new tent. I found it on Facebook marketplace. 
Um, it, it would have been a very expensive tent, uh, but we, I was able to get a really good deal on it. It was actually brand new, never been used. A guy bought it for a boundary water strip that didn't happen. So um, thankfully, uh, we stayed dry and I, I had my phone, so I knew, I knew weather was coming. Uh, so we took a drive. We drove to a few of the different state parks up the, uh, up the coast and um, we made our way up to Grand Marais, uh, which is a town about halfway between Duluth and the Canadian border. And um, yeah, we just kind of hung out in a coffee shop, played some games, um, drank some hot chocolate. And I mean, honestly, it was not ideal. I would have rather not spent so much time in the car, but you know, with the rain. Um, and, un and unfortunately, dad didn't plan this part very well. We didn't have really great rain gear or significantly warm clothes. So uh, we did what we had to do. We stayed dry. We enjoyed the drive. We looked for moose and deer and other wildlife. And uh, it's just a stunning drive anyway. So um, we made the best of it. And by the time we got back around lunchtime, the rain had cleared and we had just a beautiful rest of the day. In fact, we went back down to the lake and I did a polar plunge um, in the frigid waters of Lake Superior, but my boys decided that they were not going to. So I did that solo. That's awesome. They will. They, they've seen dad do it. They'll, they'll do it again. They've seen That's me do awesome. it. And, you know, honestly, it's dad points. So, like, it's kind of like <laughs> I can brag, brag that I did it, and they'll remember that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you do a polar plunge. After lunch, you come back. You eat some dinner, I'm assuming. Yeah, we did, we did a lot of uh, uh, freezer or frozen, what do you call them, uh, sort of camping meals that are freeze-dried. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Um, uh, we went to the Sierra store, and they have um, a lot of those meals at discounted prices. So um, we just, to keep things as simple as possible, bought, uh, you know, half dozen or a little bit more of those meals for breakfast and, and dinner. And uh, so that's how we did we did some of our meals, and it worked out really well. Um, and then that night, we knew more weather was on the way. And uh, so we, we were going to have another campfire, but we postponed that because we knew the um, storm was coming, and it definitely came. Uh, I mean, we had the most incredible thunderstorm. Thankfully, my boys were asleep. I mean, they slept through the whole thing, but um, it was uh, on that cliff over the water. I mean, I, I didn't have like anything to measure this by, but I mean, if it wasn't 40 mile an hour wind gusts or more, I'm, I thought I thought for sure we were going to blow away. But thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, the stakes held and and uh, we managed to weather that out. But and we stayed dry throughout all of it, too, which was fantastic. But what an incredible storm that we had that night. Wow. So what, what was it that kept you dry? Uh, we, I, well, I was kicking myself to be honest with you because I got up there, um, on Tuesday and I actually saw your email that you sent out through Wilder with camping tips. And on the Wednesday that we were up there, you had a camping tip about trenching around your tent. And I was like, well, thanks. That would have been great to know. Uh, couldn't you have sent that one last week? Um, <laughs> so honestly though, I think it was just having a, a decent tent. Um, I had a tent 
a, a different tent that I could have used. Um, it just would have required me to set it up and waterproof it again. And um, I just didn't do that, to be honest with you. So um, we were on a, a – the other – I think the other thing that helped us, at least in terms of, of abating the wind, was the way that we had our, our tent set up. There's a more aerodynamic side um, with sort of a um, the way the – the rain fly is situated. And, uh, so I think that helped keep us at least, um, situated a little bit more firmly. Um, uh, in terms of rain, we did, I did have to come out once or twice just to cinch down the fly a little bit, um, make sure it was tight around all the, uh, on the different sides and, um, make some adjustments. But, uh, yeah, honestly, it was just having a good, good tent. I, I mean, don't skimp on your tent. If I have to say anything, um, have a good tent when you're camping. It's worth it. It's we've, we've camped with bad tents before and we've woken up with an inch or two of water in the, in, oh in the, uh, in the tent and it is miserable. And thankfully it was like the last day and we were, you know, heading out of there. So it wasn't the end of the world, but, um, yeah, we've had some experiences like that, that, um, we've learned the hard way, shall we say. Wow. Okay, so you survived the storm of 2023. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you wake up the next day. What's what's that like? What did you guys do? Yeah, so I think I tentatively had this plan for Wednesday, but, but because of the schedule that we have, the rain that was in the area, um, pushed it back to Thursday. And um, this was kind of something that I knew I wanted to do uh, from the beginning is we brought our bikes up. And, um, you know, I've got kind of a, uh, more of an urban bike, um, but it's it's fine enough for a, a decent ride. My kids <laughs> have just your basic Walmart single speed bikes, and um, they grow so fast that we just personally were like, we're not going to invest a significant amount of money in a bike until you know that growing slows a bit. And um, so, anyways, but we wanted to take a bike ride uh, to the next town up, which uh, from where we were is Beaver Bay. And I Google mapped, um, some biking, uh, directions, not that we needed directions, but I was curious about the distance for biking. It's about six miles from our campsite to the town there and did a little sleuthing and found an ice cream shop and thought, well, this will be a fun experience for them to bike. Um, a little six mile ride there and six miles back. And, and they did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, I was super, super proud of them. And, uh, I did feel a little bit like, um, well, I felt a little bad as I'm shifting gears, you know, down to <laughs> something lower for some of the hills that we had to go And there. Um, event occasionally they'd hop off and walk their bikes up, up, up hills, but, um, man, they had great attitudes and we just kept, I kept, um, just encouraging them that they could do it, that they can do the hard things that they're doing a fantastic job, that they're working really hard, that I was proud of them. And man, that ice cream that we got um, was great ice cream. But I think more than that, it was just a sense of satisfaction for them that not only had they ridden these six miles, but they were going to ride another six miles back. And when they finished that, man, they were so proud. They were so excited to tell their mom and their grandparents. They rode 12 miles in a single day. <laughs> and... Um, so that was kind of the big thing that I wanted to do with them just to kind of instill that confidence in them. And, um, 
yeah, just have kind of an adventure story that they can kind of come back to. And, uh, you know, eventually they'll realize one day, like 12 miles, it's not the most significant bike ride you could do, but I think it's all incremental, right? Like it's an incremental step for them. Uh, you know, just like my incremental steps in the outdoors, you know, hunting, um, I look back and I'm like, oh man, that wasn't really hunting, but it was an incremental step and it was, uh, um, it was okay to do it, even if it wasn't perfect or if it wasn't ideal or if it wasn't, um, you know, everything that you might want it to be now. Man, I, I love that. I was, I was just thinking that, you know, what I hear in your story is so much energy and enthusiasm around what was exciting for the kids. Right. And I think that that can be a trip for me is at least a dad or something that I get tripped up on is I want to have this grand adventure. That's an adventure for me. And I forget where my kids are at, but I think what you've done so beautifully here, Aaron, is you took, or you started where your kids were at and pushed them just a little bit further. And and I guarantee you that, I mean, I think they're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. And of course it's, you know, it's just a stepping stone to the next thing, which is fantastic exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if someone else wanted to create an adventure for their kids, like you've done, um, what are some things that you've learned from this trip that you would want to share with them so that their trip can go a little bit easier or smoother than it would otherwise? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I, I will say one thing that jumps out at me is, is have a sort of have a rough idea, a rough idea of a schedule of what you'd like to do. Um, but you gotta, you gotta be okay with pivoting. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have things that uh, are unexpected. You can't control the weather, right? There's so many variables that you just, you're not going to be able to consider. Um, and you're going to kick yourself, but, uh, so have, have a rough idea of the things that you want to do, but be, be flexible when you get there, uh, you know, with how you're going to implement them or, or when you can pull them off. Um, and, uh, I think that flexibility just makes everyone's experience a lot less stressful. Um, you're, you're up there to have fun. You're, you're out there to enjoy nature and there's maybe things aren't going to go exactly the way you want. You might not be able to do everything that you thought you would. Um, but it's, you know, it's not a loss. Um, what's going to happen is going to happen. So, uh, it's more important to, um, I think, uh, your sort of energy and your positivity is what's going to set the tone for the kids. Um, if you're there for them, um, maintaining that sort of positivity and adventurous, adventurous spirit is, is going to rub off. If you're bummed because of something, or if you're complaining or kicking yourself or whatever, you know, is not leading, meeting up with your expectations, well, it's going to rub off on them. Um, so for example, we didn't like a dummy, I didn't pack hardly any warm clothes and it was frigid up there. Uh, and I could have spent plenty of time complaining about how we didn't have enough warm clothes. We didn't have enough warm clothes, but you know what? They wore the same sweatshirt three days in a row and it was fine. Like they managed just fine. I, uh, had one warm shirt that I wore three days in a row and it was fine. Nobody cares. And, uh, and we survived. So, um, 
so have your expectations, uh, but be able to be flexible and, um, yeah, keep a, keep, it sounds so <laughs> like, uh, Chris Farley, um, when he's the motivational speaker, but <laughs> keep a positive mental attitude and it really goes a long way with the kids. Um, if you're having fun and they're going to have fun and, um, I think too, it's, it's helpful, at least for me, like I've experienced, um, not that specific campsite, but I've been up on the North shore a number of times in other contexts with my wife or, or with the whole family or with friends. And, you know, if you can do, um, like double duty on another trip, like scouting for something different, do that. Um, so that it's not a purely new experience. Um, so you've kind of, it might not be the most thrilling or, you know, adventurous for you because you've kind of seen, seen the place maybe, or you've experienced a bit of it. Um, but you've kind of removed some of the variables that could stress you out, um, to, in order to kind of be a guide for, for your kids. Um, maybe save the like pure adventure for a trip with, uh, you know, your spouse or people your own age or something like that. Um, that's just my advice. Uh, yeah, that's what I've got. That's awesome, Aaron. Thank you. Well, uh, before we wrap up, this is not related to the outdoors, but I do know that a lot of people uh, who listen here are in the Twin Cities, and some of them may be in need of the unique set of skills that you offer, which is pastoral <laughs> care. Um, yeah. If, if anyone's in the Twin Cities looking for a church, uh, tell us a little bit about restoration. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we are um, an Anglican church that meets in South Minneapolis in the corner of 57th and Chicago Avenue. We are, uh, I think, the best church around. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, they don't even pay me to say that. Um, but uh, I think we've got a number of young families um, and uh, sort of uh, with a, I don't know how you would characterize it other than it's ancient and modern. It's um, evangelical yet Catholic. It's charismatic uh, yet contemplative. Um, I think it is uh, the best of a lot of worlds. And um, honestly, we just have a great we have a great leadership team, and uh, I feel privileged to be a part of it. So, yeah, restorationmpls.org. You can read more about it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Aaron. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.